In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and God, Amen. أنا في البداية هعمل البايبل ستادي بالإنجليزي وبعدين هدى ملخص بالعربي والبايبل ستادي بتاعكم النهاردة قصير يعني حوالي يمكن 16 آية بس بس في البداية I wish you all a very blessed and happy new Coptic year also tomorrow is the feast of St. John the Baptist وبرضو I like to congratulate or our children who graduated from the high school as well as those who completed the pre-servant program and they are going to start serving in the church. And I like when they ask them question they, uh, about uh, the program itself. All of them wanted the program to be longer and to be tougher, which actually reflect a real zeal in learning and be disciplined by the uh, church uh, rituals, the church spirituality, the church doctrines, in order to be good servants. So actually, I, I praise them and I commend them for this remark, uh, that they want to learn more and to get deeper into uh, deeper in the spirituality of the church. Our Bible study, as I told you today, from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 9, starting from verse 49. Uh, but before we start from verse 49, the, there was a dispute among the disciples as to which of them would be greatest. Which of them would be greatest? So the Lord Jesus uh, took a little child and set them in their midst and told them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. Then in verse 49, which is the beginning of our Bible study tonight, now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he doesn't follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not forbid him for he who is not against us is on our side. So the question of John was evidently suggested by the word of our Lord Jesus Christ when he told them that if you want to be the greatest, you need to be like one of these little ones. And whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. But John and others, maybe some of the disciples also, had just been severely rebuked to someone simply because he is not of their company. But this person was using the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in order actually to cast out demons. And perhaps the success of this man sparked jealousy of the apostles. Because earlier, early in this chapter, after the Lord descended from the Mount of Transfiguration, a father presented his son to the Lord and told him, I presented my son to your disciples and they couldn't cast out the demon from him. So maybe there was jealousy. How we, the followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, couldn't cast out the demon from this child. And here a man who does not follow us, he is not one of our company, is able to cast out demons in Jesus' name. 
But the Lord told them, do not forbid him. And it is clear from the Lord's answer that this man was not against our Lord Jesus Christ, either by his mouth or by his heart. And neither did he do any individual thing of his own. He was relying on the Lord Jesus Christ, on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe the circumstances were not appropriate for him to be an immediate follower of our Lord Jesus Christ and the rest of the disciples. Although he was not one of the twelve, but he was with them in the faith. So the Master's reply contained a broad and far-reaching truth. What is this truth? No earthly society, however holy, would be able exclusively to claim the divine power inseparably connected with a true and faithful use of his name. So the power is connected, the divine power is connected with the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just the mere name, but believing in him, believing that he is the savior, believing that he is the Messiah, believing that following him will give us the inheritance of the kingdom of God and also unite us with the Holy Trinity. So the Lord wished that his disciples have a big and loving heart and that each one practices his talent. In this way, all world work together in different places, in different geographical area, but all the disciples of Jesus will work together for the account of the kingdom of God without any fanaticism, but rather in unity of faith and unity of thought that is spiritual. Saint Ambrose commented about the words of the Lord, do not forbid him. And he said, forbid him not. Our Lord is not moved by this event. He did not like that the disciples forbid this person to teach us that perfect virtue entertains no thoughts of revenge. As I told you, maybe the disciples were moved by jealousy or revenge. And that anger cannot be found where the fullness of charity reigns. Is the fullness of love reign in my heart? There will not be, be place for anger or revenge or jealousy. The weak must not be driven away, but rather assisted. Let the breast of the religious man, the chest of the religious man, be ever unmoved by passion and the mind of the generous undisturbed by desires of revenge. End of the quote. Verse 51. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him, for Jesus, to be received up, received up, to ascend to heaven, to ascend on the cross, to die and be buried, risen from the dead, and received up in ascension. That he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So, this is a turning point in the Gospel of St. Luke. Because the Lord Jesus Christ begins from this point his journey toward his death in Jerusalem. Let me remind you with the geography. 
Israel is divided into three main areas. Galilee in the north, Judea and Jerusalem in the south, and Samaria in the middle, to the west of River Jordan. So the Lord was in Galilee. So his teaching ministry in Galilee has come to an end. And now the Lord Jesus Christ prepares himself and his disciples for what St. Luke literally called the day to be received up in Jerusalem. And as I explained, received up, his ascension on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven. The travel narrative of the final journey of our Lord Jesus Christ from Galilee to Jerusalem is divided in the Gospel of St. Luke into three divisions or three parts. Each part starts by a reference to Jesus going to Jerusalem. And the third part begins with Jesus going to Jerusalem and then conclude with Jesus going to Jerusalem just prior to his entry to Jerusalem on Hosanna Sunday. What are these three parts? The first part starts by Luke 9.51, the verse we just read. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. The first part ends in Luke 13, 22. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And this is the beginning of the second part. And second part ends in Luke 17, 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. This concluded the second part and started the third part, which ended in Luke 19, 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. And this started the journey on Hosanna Sunday when he entered Jerusalem and then during this week he offered himself on the cross. Verse 52. As I told you, Galilee in the north and Judea in the south and Samaria. There is the Jordan River here. If he went through the western part of the Jordan River, he will go through Samaria. But if he wanted to avoid Samaria, he can go through the eastern part to Judea. So he can travel from Galilee to Judea on the eastern side of Jordan River and thus he avoid completely Samaria. But we read in verse 52, and he sent messengers before his face and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. As you know, there was enmity between Samaria and Judea. So when they know that Jesus is traveling to uh, Jerusalem, they refuse to receive him. So instead of traveling down the eastern side of the Jordan River to avoid passing through Samaria, Jesus and his disciples are traveling the more dangerous route through Samaria on the way to Jerusalem. Why more dangerous? Because of the enmity between the Samaritans and the Jews. Only the Gospel of Luke and Gospel of John recorded for us 
how the Lord dealt with the Samaritans. The term Samaritan originally was a geographic, geographic distinction for one from the city of Samaria. There is a city called Samaria, so the people who lived there, they were called Samaritans. And Samaria was the old capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. After King Solomon, his son Rahubam, during the time of Rahubam, there was a division among the Israelites. And they formed two kingdoms. One kingdom called the kingdom of Israel, that is the northern kingdom, and was, was founded by King Omri in the early 9th century before Christ. And the capital of this uh, kingdom was Samaria. And the southern kingdom is the kingdom of Judea, and the capital of Judea is Jerusalem. That is the origin of Samaria. But after the 8th century, before Christ, it became, the word Samaritan became an ethnic and religious name for people who are not Jewish, but came to inhabit the region between Galilee and Judea to the west of the Jordan River. So people came, Gentiles, non-Jewish, lived in Samaria. So, we read actually in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6, and also from verse 24 to 41, about the origin of the Samaritans. So, the Jews despised the Samaritans because they were Gentiles, not Jewish. But since they lived in Samaria, these Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, claimed to worship God of Israel. But not in Jerusalem. Not in the temple of Solomon. That's why the Jews considered them that they are falsely worshipping the God of Israel. So, at the time of Christ, the people who lived in Samaria were not pure Jewish people or not pure Israelites. But it was a mix between Jews and Gentiles. And they developed their own translation of the Pentateuch, which are the five books of Moses. And it is called Samaritan Pentateuch. Built their own temple against the commandment of God. Because in the Old Testament, God said, worship me only in Jerusalem. But they built their own temple of worship on Mount Gerizim which was later destroyed by John Hyrcanus, 128 before Christ. Also, they celebrated their own Passover. So they were different from the Jews. And as I said, because the Lord Jesus Christ was going to Jerusalem, so this village did not welcome the Lord Jesus Christ. How the disciples reacted to this? Verse 54, And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, he actually said two things. Number one, 
You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. The second point, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were offended by the attitude of the Samaritans, how they refused to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And confidence or pride or arrogance after their successful earlier mission, they offered to destroy the town of Samaria that refused the Lord Jesus Christ. And their angry reaction show why the Lord Jesus Christ called both of them Boanerges. Boanerges means sons of thunder. So when they, got ang- they get angry, they are like thunder. Their outburst of temper revealed in, in their proposal uh, maybe the attitude of the rest of the disciples. So they were like the spokespeople. So all the disciples want to destroy the city, but maybe James and John just spoke. Uh, and actually, many times we quote the Bible in a wrong way. Many times we support our ungodly actions by quoting the Bible. That's exactly what John and James did. They referred to what Prophet Elijah did in dispensing the judgment on three groups of fifties. You can read this story in Second Kings chapter 1 from verse 1 to 12. So they want to justify their ungodly anger by a story of Prophet Elijah. And many times we try to justify our ungodly actions by stories from the Bible that we misuse and we misinterpret. But the Lord explained their failing and how their proposal to destroy the city was wrong. And actually he told them you failed in two points. Number one, they did not know themselves the spirit that moving them. They thought this spirit is from God. But in reality, this spirit was not from God. They thought they were like Jesus or showing the character of God. But they were mistaken. They did not represent God and his heart. God loved the Samaritan. God wanted them to repent and be saved. God loves the sinner. He does not desire the death of the sinner but rather that he returns and lives. Many people actually use the Bible and misinterpret the Bible to condemn the other and to pass judgment on other. But they are mis- misusing the Bible like James and, and John here. The second point They did not not know the Lord Jesus Christ and his mission. He told them the Son of Man did not come to destroy the world, but to save the world. He came to save the lost, not to burn them up with fire from heaven. So he rebuked them because they did not know the spirit that was moving them, or the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Then the last part of the chapter from 57 to 62, we read about three stories about people want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but they did not calculate the cost right in the right way. Let's read these verses first. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. That's the first one. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's the first one. The second one. Then he said to another, the first one he came to Jesus, but the second one Jesus called him and told him, follow me. Like he said to Matthew, like he said to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But in all other disciples, when the Lord told them, follow me, they left everything and followed Jesus. But let us see how this man responded. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Mean, I will live with my father until he dies, and after I bury him, I will follow you. That's the second one. So the Lord told him, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. The second one. The third one, he came to Jesus like the first one. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. So the Lord told him, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So let us look at these three uh, stories and let's understand the cost of discipleship. Uh, the Lord in these three stories he gave each one a warning. And these warnings actually are very, very proper to us who want to join the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. These three stories did not occur together in the same time. But most probably, they took place in different times, but during the journey toward Jerusalem. But St. Luke placed these three stories together in one group as examples of the way in which the Master replied to numerous offers of service made to him under different conditions. Definitely, more people asked the Lord to follow him, not only these three persons. What is the link? What is the factor in these three stories? The focus in these three stories is that one needs to count and calculate the cost of discipleship weighed against personal relationships and commitment. Like when they asked the preservant how you strengthen your relationship with God. And some of them said time management. It is how to count the cost of discipleship against personal relationships and commitment. Here we have three men expressed the desire to follow Jesus. But Jesus countered each man's desire to follow him with a warning on the cost of the discipleship. The first one, 
he said to the Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. But the Lord said, foxes have holes and birds of the earth have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So, the Lord said to the first one that he, Jesus, lives like a homeless wanderer. No home, no family, no comfort. He is traveling from one place to another place. He is not like even the animals. The animals, like foxes and birds of the air, have comfort. The foxes have uh, holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. So the Lord Jesus Christ did not say to this man, don't follow me. But he told him the truth without painting a, a beautiful vision about how it looks like to follow him. He told him, this is my life. Are you willing to be homeless wanderer? No comfort, no earthly comfort? If you are willing to live this life, come and follow me. Did you calculate the cost? Did you count the cost? Some, they say, I want to serve. But at the end, they don't want to suffer. They don't want to enter into through the narrow gate and walk in the difficult way. They did not want to carry the cross. They want a convenient life. So the Lord said, no. Please follow me. Welcome to follow me. But I am like a homeless wanderer. Are you willing to compromise the earthly comforts or not? If not, you need to rethink your, your calling or your offer to follow me. In the second case, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who called the person, like how he called Matthew, how he called uh, Peter, James, John, uh, and, G, uh, and Andrew. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. It's clear that the Lord saw something in the heart of this man. Or maybe he heard words from him moved the heart of our Redeemer. So he gave him a special call, follow me. Which is clear that the Lord extend the invitation to discipleship to all of us. But some of us, like this man, he placed a condition on his accepting acceptance. He placed his family obligation to bury his father before the call of Jesus. He did not act like Simon, Peter, or Andrew, or James, or John, or Matthew, who left all and followed the Lord. He did not do like Abraham when God called him in the Old Testament. He followed the Lord even not knowing where he is going. So the Lord told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. So the Lord told him the importance and urgency of his mission to call mankind to the blessing of the eternal life. And this must take precedence over any family obligations. And it requires personal sacrifice. He told him 
let those in your family who are not committed to the kingdom that's about to come and who are dead spiritually to take care of burying the dead physically. Let the dead bury their own dead. Let those who are spiritually dead bury those who are physically dead. So, I want to, because some of you may think how the Bible told us, honor your father and mother. So, here the Lord is not against the home duty toward our parents. But the Lord suggested that the demands of the society should not actually mandate my follow, uh, followship or my discipleship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he told him, your duty to bury your father, this actually should give place to something more important and more urgent, which actually is to preach the kingdom of God. Burying your father is connected with the dead. So we cannot uh, leave what's more important and what's more urgent for something less important and less urgent. The Lord did not tell him, don't take care of your living father. He did not say this, but he was speaking about burying the dead body. As I said, this was a society call rather than home or family obligation. So don't be, don't yield to the pressure of the society, but you need to give place to the work of the Father. Like right now, until now, actually, many people, when they decide to become monks and nuns, there is extreme pressure from the society, from the family, to prevent them from following the Lord Jesus Christ. And they give them some guilty message, like, if you become a monk or you become a nun, who will bury me? So the question here, it's not about burying him. It's a guilty message. In order to prevent this person from following the calling of God. And if this person got a job offer in other continent, they will be happy for him and encourage him to go and get this job offer. But when he says, I want to be dedicate my life to God, consecrate my life to God, to become, I don't know why monasticism, to become monk or nun, then all the opposition in the world against this call. The second person was very different from the first and from the last. The first was impulsive. I want to follow you but he did not calculate the cost. Yes, he has enthusiasm, but he didn't think about it. He wanted to act without counting the cost. Many people, when they come and say, I want to become a monk or a nun or consecrate my life, to the service of the Lord. The first question we ask them, do you know what does this mean? For example, when they come to our monastery, I tell them, how old are you? They tell you 25, 26, something like this. 
So I tell him, in monasticism, actually, a person does not leave uh, the, the monastery because he is dead to the world. So may God give you long life. So if you live until you became 86 or 96, this means actually you will live in this place for the next 70 years of your life. Are you willing to live here for the next 60 or 70 years of your life, not moving from this place, not leaving for any reason? There is nothing called vacation. I need one month vacation and come back. So the purpose behind this question, did you count the cost? Did you calculate it? As the Lord told him, foxes have holes, birds of the earth have nests, but I don't have a place to lay his head, to lay my head. So the first one was impulsive. Did not count the cost. The second one was overcautious, cold, calculating the cost very, very much, he became ungenerous. And he want to wait until he bury his father, maybe because of guilt message from the society, then he will follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Lord argued with him. The third one, the last one, uh, so, it's about dealing with half-hearted commitment. The third one, like the first one, he came to the Lord Jesus Christ and told him, I will follow you. Uh, but this commitment or offer to follow the Lord Jesus Christ was coupled with a plea for delay. Let me go first and bid, bid farewell to those who are in my house. So he wants to take a formal farewell of his family. But if you read the verse clearly, he said, go and bid them farewell who are at my house. He did not mention specifically my father or my mother or wife or children. So this man was free from closer and more binding ties of relationship. But just he want to go and say bye to the people who are living in this city. So this means his commitment was not real. The zeal, that's why he said, half-hearted. Maybe he wanted to imitate Elisha, the disciples of Prophet Elijah. The story in First Kings chapter 19, verse 19 to 21. As I told you, some of us would try to get stories from the Bible to justify our wrong action. Elijah permitted Elisha, his disciple, to kiss his parents goodbye and to have a farewell feast with his family. But he went to his parents, his father and mother. But this man, it's clear from his statement he just want to say bye to his friends, not to a person who, like father or a mother or children or wife or siblings. So Jesus tells us that the commitment to the kingdom leaves no time for ordinary family affection, but require a sacrifice of placing the needs of the kingdom 
above all human connections and affiliations. It is time to move forward with God's plan for humanity, plan of salvation, not to look back to say bye to my friends. So the Lord used an image. This image is very, very clear to his hearers because it is from their atmosphere and their culture. So the culture were of the peasant class and they knew that the eyes of a farmer if he is doing his work well must look straight before him at the line of path which he is making. He cannot plow and look backward. To look back, backward while working is to ruin the work entirely. So any person like that will be disqualified for the work of kingdom of God. In following the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus and never take our eyes off him and look backward. More than anyone else, the Lord Jesus Christ applied this on himself. As we read in Luke 9, 51, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Why? To be crucified, to carry our sins, to die on our behalf, to fulfill the mission of his father. This concludes chapter 9 from the Gospel of St. Luke. I will give a quick summary in Arabic. من أول عدد 49 الجزء الأول ده من الإصحاح تكلم على حدث التجلي ولما سيد المسيح نزل من جبل التجلي لقى التلاميذ فشلوا أنهم يخرجوا الشيطان من طفل صغير وأبو الطفل ده قال لسيد المسيح لو تقدر تعمل لنا حاجة وتشفي الولد ده لأن قدمته لتلاميذك وما قدروش يخرجوا الشيطان وربنا خرج الشيطان من الطفل ده وبعد كده كان في سؤال بين التلاميذ هو مين الأعظم فيهم فربنا جاب طفل صغير وقال لهم إني من قبل هذا الولد باسم يقبلني ومن قبلاني يقبل الذي أرسلني لأن الأصغر فيكم جميعا هو يكون عظيما عايز تبقى عظيم خليك آخر الكل وخادم الكل بعد كده يوحنا سأل سؤال قال له يا معلم رأينا واحدا يخرج الشياطين باسمك فمنعنا لأنه ليس يتبعنا غالبا يوحنا ومع التلاميذ لأنه بيتكلم هنا بسروب الجامعة فمنعناه غالبا الضيق أن هما معرفوش يخرجوا الشيطان من الراجل من الطفل اللي أبوه اشتكى لسيد المسيح وأن واحد مش من الجروب بتاعتهم ديا بيخرج شياطين باسم المسيح فكان فيه كده شوية غيرة على شوية غضب على شوية انفعال فراح قالوا له انت ازاي بتخرج شياطين انت مش بتتبعنا انت مش واحد من الاثناشر اوعى تخرج شياطين تاني باسم المسيح لكن ربنا قال لهم لا تمنعون لان من ليس علينا فهو معنا ربنا فحص قلوب والكلى كان عارف ان الانسان ده مش ضد المسيح لا في كلامه ولا في قلبه ربما ظروف منعته ان هو يكون من الاثناشر اللي بيسافروا بيتنقلوا مع سيد المسيح من مكان لمكان لكن في قلبه هو واحد من التلاميذ المخلصين للمسيح 
ومن هنا لو كل واحد في العالم تلميذ للمسيح بيستخدم الوزنه بتاعته وبيتاجر بيها كلنا مع بعض هنبني ملكوت الله وبعدين يقول لك وحين تمت الايام لارتفاعه ارتفاعه يعني صعوده بس الصعود مرتبط بايه بالقيامه والقيامه مرتبطه بالصليب فكلمه ارتفاعه يعني ارتفاعه على الصليب دفنه في القبر قيامته من الاموات وصعوده الى السماوات حين تمت الايام لارتفاعه ثبت وجهه لينطلق اورشليم ايه معنى الجمله دي انا هو مش خايف من الصليب هو رايح لاورشليم عشان يتصلب بكل عزم وتصميم واراده لهذه الساعه انا قد اتيت الجغرافيا بتاعه المكان الجليل ده كان في الشمال اليهوديه في الجنوب وبعدين في نهر الاردن على الناحيه الشرقيه لنهر الاردن في مسار يودي من الجليل لليهوديه ومن الناحيه الغربيه دي السامره فممكن السيد المسيح يروح من الناحيه الشرقيه لو هو عايز يتفادى السامره وممكن يروح من الناحيه الغربيه لو عايز يمر ما بين السامره من هم السامريين القصه بتاعتهم تبتدي في ايام رحبعام ابن سليمان لما انقسمت المملكه وبقي في مملكتين مملكه فيها عشر اسباط اسمها مملكه اسرائيل ومملكه ثانيه في الجنوب اسمها مملكه يهوذا مملكه اسرائيل كانت العاصمه بتاعتها السامره ومملكه اليهود كانت العاصمه بتاعتها اورشليم فالسامره تقع ما بين الجليل في الشمال وما بين اليهوديه في الجنوب بس حصل ايه بعد كده في القرن الثامن قبل الميلاد حصل ان ناس مش اسرائيليين جم وعاشوا في السامره زي مثلا احنا جينا هاجرنا وعشنا في امريكا وحصل اختلاط ما بين السامريين الاصليين اللي هم من العشر اسباط بتوع اسرائيل وما بين الامم غير اليهود او غير اسرائيليين اللي جم عاشوا في المنطقه دي مش كده وبس ده اعادوا كتابه الخمس اصفار بتاعت موسى نسخة خاصة بيهم تختلف على الناموس اللي اسرائيل بتستخدمه اليهودية ربنا قال لهم تسجدوا وتعبدوني في اورشليم هم ابتدوا يعبدوا على جبل تاني اسمه جرزيم مش كده المرأة السامرية قالت له اباؤنا سجدوا على هذا الجبل اما انتم فتقولون ان السجود يكون في اورشليم ايه الصح نعبد في جرزيم ولا في اورشليم وبرضه عملوا لهم عيد فصح يختلف على اليهود عشان كده اليهود كانوا يحتقروا السامريين ده لما كانوا يشتموا واحد يقولوا له انت سامري قالوا اهل المسيح قالوا انت سامري وبك شيطان يعني مجرد يقول واحد انت سامري كانت تعتبر شتيمه وكان في عداوه بين اليهود والسامره طيب ربنا لو عايز يعني بيس اوف مايند كان يمشي منين من الجليل لليهوديه يمشي من الناحيه الشرقيه ويتفادى السامره لكن ربنا جاء عشان يخلص العالم كله اليهود والسامره والامم عشان كده يقول وارسل امام وكيه رسلا فذهبوا ودخلوا قريه للسامريين حتى يعدوا له راح علشان يمشي 
وسط السامرة اختار الطريق الغربي عشان يمشي وسط السامرة عشان يخلصهم طب ايه اللي حصل فلم يقبلوه قالوا لا ده راح لأورشليم هو هياخدنا احنا كده ترانزيت لا ما يخشش لأن وجهه كان متجها نحو أورشليم تلاميذ اتضايقوا لكن بالأخص يعقوب ويوحنا ابني زبدي كان واضح ان يعقوب ويوحنا دولت عصبيين شوية كده مش كده ربنا سماهم ابني الرعد يعني في غضبهم زي الرعد كده بوانرجس في قصة في العهد القديم عن إيليا إن إيليا ثلاث مرات ينزل نار من السماء تاكل الخمسين خمسين واحد كان بعتهم الملك فقالوا ربنا يا رب أتريد أن نقول أن تنزل نار من السماء فتفنيهم كما فعل إيليا أيضا وهنا في حاجة خطيرة جدا إن كتير أخذ قرار غلط أو أتصرف تصرف غلط ولكن عشان أبرره أجيب له قصة من كتاب المقدس وأقول ده ربنا موافق على أنا بعمله ده ربنا بيسندني ده ربنا واقف معايا زي ما هم قالوا كده إحنا اللي بنعمله ده بالضبط زي إلية كانوا بيخدعوا نفسهم فمن هنا ربنا جاوبهم وقال لهم على حاجتين اول حاجة يقول فالتفت وانتهرهما يعني زي كده يعني بكتهم بشدة وقال لستما تعلمان من اي روح انتما انتم مخدوعين انتم مفكرين الروح اللي بيكلمكم ده الروح القدس انتم مفكرين اللي بتعملوه ده مؤيد من الله انتم مفكرين اللي انتوا عايزين تعملوه في السامرة انك تحرقوهم ديا دي رغبة ربنا ده مش روح ربنا ده روح شيطان وهنا الانسان لابد يكون حريص جدا لان الشيطان يخدعني بقصص من الكتاب المقدس واكون انا بنفذ ارادة الشيطان وليست ارادة الله الحاجة التانية اللي قالها لهم قال لهم ده انتوا تلاميذي بقالكم معايا حوالي يمكن ثلاث سنين دلوقتي لان خلاص المسيح رايح علشان يسلم نفسه للصليب معقولة بقالكم المدة ديا ومش عارفين خدمتي وكراستي ايه ابن الانسان لم يأتي ليهلك انفس الناس بل ليخلص انا مش جاي عشان ادمر مدن انا مش جاي عشان ادين ناس انا مش جاي علشان اهلك ناس انا مش جاي علشان ابهدل ناس انا جاي علشان اخلص فلا انتوا انتوا مخدوعين مفكرين الروح اللي بيحرككم ده روح ربنا وده روح الشيطان والحاجه الثانيه ان انتوا مش عارفين ما هي رساله يسوع رساله يسوع ان يخلص الناس لا لا يدمر الناس دي رسالة المسيح وقال لهم ايه المشكلة ما استقبلوناش نمضي الى قرية اخرى ونعد من قرية اخرى وفعلا مضوا الى قرية اخرى بعدين اخر الاصحاح قديس لقى يذكر لنا ثلاث قصص ثلاث قصص ناس عايزين يتبعوا المسيح بس غالبا الثلاث قصص دولت ما حصلوش في نفس الوقت انما حصلوا خلال الرحلة من الجليل الى اليهودية لكن لو احطهم مع بعض علشان يعلمنا درس انت لما بتقول عايز اخدم هل حسبت حساب النفقة ولا لا فالشخص الاولاني قال له يا سيد اتبعك اينما تمضي ربنا قال له كويس 
بس انت عارف يعني ايه تتبعني للثعالب او جرى ولطيور السماء او كار اما ابن الانسان فليس له اين يسند راسه عشان تتبعني هتبقى كده هوملس ملاش ملكش مكان عندك استعداد ولا انت عايز تتبعني بس بشروطك عايز تتبعني وانت مش عايز تضحي باي شيء ناس كتير النهاردة عايزين يتبعوا ربنا في التكريس او في الرهبنة او في الكهنوت بس بشروطهم نو no sacrifices مفيش تضحية ابدا انا مش هضحي حاجة انا عايز تبقى كل حاجة بالنسبة لي مرتاحة واخدمك يا رب ربنا قال لا ده ما ينفعش ده ما ينفعش لازم يكون عندك استعداد تضحي يا إما خليك في حالك لو عايز تتبعني أنا عايش ليس لي أين أسند رأسي هل عندك استعداد تعيش زي ما أنا عايش ولا لأ فده الأولان ربنا ما قالوش ما تتبعنيش بس ربنا قال له ده حياتي تتبعني يعني هتعيش نفس حياتي عندك الاستعداد بولس يقول على سيد المسيح افتقر وهو الغني عندك استعداد ولا ما عندكش استعداد التاني الاولاني ده اللي جيني المسيح قال له اتبعك التاني ربنا قال له اتبعني زي ما قال له بطرس واندراوس ويعقوب ويوحنا ومتى كل دولت لما ربنا قال لهم اتبعني تركوا كل شيء وتبعوه فجي للراجل ده وقال له اتبعني فأكيد المسيح شاف حاجة في قلبه خلت السيد المسيح يقول ده كويس اتبعني فرح قال له يا سيد اذن لي أن أمضي أولا وأدفن أبي يعني اديني فرصة أعيش مع البيت بتاعي لغايه لما والدي يتوفى وادفنه واجد بعد يعني حط شرط كده على التبعي فربنا قال له دع الموت يدفنون موتاه اما انت فاذهب ونادي بملكوت الله طب فين وسيط اكرام الوالدين هنا ها ربنا ضد وسيط اكرام الوالدين ابدا ده أرملة نايين لما ابنها مات ما كانش عندها حد يعولها قوم الابن من الموت ودفعه إلى أمه عشان ياخد باله منها ما ليه حكاية دعني أدفن أبي أحيانا المجتمع يحط قيود على الإنسان مش علشان أبوه محتاج حد ياخد باله منه لكن علشان رفض لتبعية المسيح ودي بتحصل لغاية النهاردة بالذات يمكن بتحصل أحيانا بتحصل في الكهنوت أو في التكريس لكن بتحصل بصورة قوية وواضحة جدا في الرهبنة تلاقي مثلا شاب عايز يترهبن أو شاب عايز تترهبن فبدل ما يقولوا لها لأ يحط بقى عليها أو عليه زن ومين هياخد بالنا منا لما نكبر ولما نعجز مين هيهتم بينا ومين هيمشي في جنازتي كل بقى كلام ايه رسائل ذنب الشاب ده او البنت دي لو جالها مثلا اوفر في استراليا حلو هيشجعوها يلا مبروك روح زي ما احنا كلنا لما سيبنا ابهاتنا وامهاتنا في مصر وجينا امريكا هنا حد شوف ضدنا قالوا يلا بالسلام في مستقبل كويس روح لكن ربما لو حد مننا قال نروح الدير نترهبن كان قالوا طب مين هيهتم بينا عشان كده ربنا قال للأخ ده قال له بص دع الموت بالروح اللي هما بيحملوك الزنب ده دعهم يدفنوا موت الجسد أما أنت فاذهب ونادي بملكوت الله 
اوعى تخضع لرسائل الذنب التي يضعها عدو الخير على فم الموت بالروح عشان يمنعوا ويعطلوا تكريسك وخدمتك لربنا اما الثالث ده جير ربنا مش ربنا اللي دعاه وقال له اتبعك يا سيد ولكن حط شرط ائذن لي اولا ان اودع الذين في بيتي كلمه الذين في بيتي كلمه كده عايمه يعني ما قالش مثلا اودع ابي اودع امي اخواتي بالجسد لو هو متزوج زي بطرس اودع زوجتي لا لا يعني يودع الذين في بيتي اصحابي واصدقائي وكده يعني ربما برضو كان مخدوع ان اليشع ايليا سمح له ان يروح ويودع والديه قبل ما يتبع ايليا زي ما بنقرا في سفر الملوك فقال طيب ما هو في قصه في كتاب المقدس ما نعمل زيهم اروح اقضي لي كده فتره مع اصحابي وكده قبل ما اجي مع مع المسيح. ده واحد قلبه كده مش حار نص نص عين عايز يتبع المسيح وعين التانيه باصه على ورا عارفه يمين زي مرات لوط عايزه تخرج من سدوم بس لسه عينيها على سدوم. فربنا جاب له مثل من الطبيعه من الكالتشر بتاعته قال له بص انت عارف الفلاح اللي بيحرث الارض لو هو قاعد على المحراث وبيبص لبارة هيبوظ الارض الخدمه في ملكوت الله زي الفلاح اللي بيحرث الارض ليس احد يضع يده على المحراث وينظر الى الوراء يصلح لملكوت الله لو انت عايز تتبعني ما تبصش لورا ما تبصش لورا ما تقولش ده انا سبت شهاده ولا وظيفه كذا ولا سبت كذا ما ينفعش ما ينفعش تتبع ربنا وعينك بتبص على ورا لا يصلح ان يكون خادم في ملكوت الله فالعامل المشترك في الثلاث قصص دولت هي حساب النفقه هل حسبت حساب النفقه لكي تتبع وتخدم الرب يسوع ولا لا ده ينهي اصحاح آه تسعه من انجيل معلمنا ماري لوقا لالهنا المجد الدائم الى الابد امين